Job 23. <laughs> we find that Mr. Eliphaz has just delivered his last words, and Job responds in Job 23. And here we go. <laughs> and Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I could find, I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. He cannot find God. Verse 8 9. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him, colon, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept, and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is in one mind, and who can turn him what his soul desireth, even that he doeth? For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore am I troubled at his presence, when I consider I am afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me, because I, I was not cut off before the darkness, neither hath he covered the darkness from my face. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Lord, help me this evening. I would say uh, what you want me to say. Lord, as we think about the context of this verse, especially verse 10, may we learn together. Uh, may we see the, the pangs of Job's difficulty. May Lord, uh, his, also his knowledge that he was innocent and that God's righteous faithfulness as well. All these things, I believe, are portrayed one way or another. Speak through me today. Forgive me of sin, empty me of self, and please, I pray that you fill me with your spirit even this evening. May our hearts be in tune with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Don't forget now, next Sunday, I will have a one thirty service, and Pastor Ball will be our speaker next Sunday, so be prepared for that. We'll be praying for him. Uh, so where is God? That, my subtitle, I've called it, uh, I shall come forth as gold, but we might subtitle it, where is God? He's looking for God. Verse 8 and 9 says, For it's very clearly, behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. And so Job is struggling. So we see four, four three words primarily. First, we see silence, God's silence in the first nine verses. Job really longs to find God, but and God would appear unto him. What he really wants is Job wants to be in God's court and for God to adjudicate him. We've talked about the different times, and then he would be found innocent because Job knows he is innocent, but he cannot find him. It's interesting. It's really the opposite of Psalm. Hold your finger in Job and look at Psalm 139, verse 8. Psalm 139, verse 8, if you would please, 8 and 9, 10. Psalm 139, 8, 9, and 10. 139, 8. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. So really, it's opposite. So anyway, Psalm affirms that God infers or affirms that God is everywhere and I cannot hide from him. 
Job complains God is nowhere and I cannot be seen. So it's this complete opposite. Psalmist says God's everywhere. I cannot get away. Job says God is nowhere to be found. Expresses really uh, the, what the believer knows. Job expresses what the believer sometimes fears, feels. The psalmist, what we know. God is everywhere. Job, what we sometimes feel. Why is God sometimes so hard to find and silent when we need him most? The question we might ask. It is a big question, especially for the sufferer. As I mentioned this morning, Adoniram Judson echoed the anguish of this when he a war broke out between England and Burma in 1824. English foreigners were called espionage suspects, and execution of spies was routine. Judson and a fellow missionary were imprisoned. Nightly, their ankles were shackled, and they were pulled up, and their backs only their backs against the floor. And every night, they were raised like that. Finally, they needed an interpreter. And Mr. Judson was let out because he could speak both languages and he interpreted. But during this time, a long absence from his wife, his first wife passed away and did his little girl. And then he put himself into the translating the language. And then after a time, he got so doubtful and despaired, he got out of mission work. That's when he built the little, he went into the jungle, built a little hut and, and dug a grave and would sit by day on end, perched there in morbid meditation. Matter of fact, he even wrote his of uh, in-laws and asked them, his dead wife's parents, have either of you learned the art of real communion with God? And can you teach me the first principles? God to me is the great unknown. Now, this is Adoniram Judson who was mightily used by God. I said, I believe in him, but I find him not. It's sort of like Job. Job was like one of the mightiest men with God, if you would. And yet, at this point in time, he's had such a difficult time. He's looking, where is God? I cannot find him. Look with me at uh, Psalm 46 and Psalm 44. Psalm 46, 1. Two promises within about 20 verses of each other. Psalm 46, 1. Psalm 44, 24. Psalm 46, 1. If you would, please. Psalm 46, 1 and 44, 24. 46, 1 says for us here, you know the verse quite well. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 44, 24. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? So 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? Their verses are so very close together, if you would, but certainly two sides. If God is very findable in trouble, then why does he seem to be unfindable and unaware when our times of need, Isaiah even says in 45, 15, Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. So he's our Savior and he hides himself from us. When we need him? Well, sometimes, now, God is silent. We'll say, first of all, because of our sin. Just a couple of you want to jot down the references. Deuteronomy 32, 20. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their, uh, what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. Isaiah eight seventeen. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Psalm fifty twenty one. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such and one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set thee in order before thine eyes. So sometimes 
God is silent because men are involved in sin. Now, sometimes, though, he hides himself even when people cry out. In Job 13, 24, if you want to turn back with me for a moment, Job 13, 24, it even says for us here, Job 13, 24, Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and beholdest me for thine enemy? Why are you doing that, Job? Why are you hiding your face, etc.? This prompt, it really prompts him to implore him to manifest his presence and to intervene. Hide not thy face, it says in Psalm, far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Citing all these passages, and then there are several more, makes a point that when you feel like you are on your own, and we know we're not alone, but we find that God's saints feel like that sometimes, but he is there for us to find ourselves really in the company of Job is no, is a small consolation. Open our hearts, if you would. Someone has said we are to pray back God's prayers to him, and that will help us to get back on track with him. The advantage we have over Job is we have so much more revelation. Job had so little next to none to read. We have all of the Bible. Access amplifies accountability. The more access we have, the more accountable we are. So when it seems God has but left us, remember, he has spoken. If you want a word from God, go to his word. If you want a word from God, go there. And immerse yourself here and keep in God's word. Keep looking until he answers from you and that's until you recognize his voice. I can offer you words of encouragement. I can send you a card. But I'm telling you, the one thing that's going to work is when you look into God's word. It's always faithful. If you're looking for God, look there. Someone has said sometimes God seems silent only because we're not listening to what he's already said. Sometimes God seems silent because we're not listening to what he has said. You want a more revelation. We've got to follow what the next the steps he's already given us to do. You're putting together a huge Lego thing. You've got to get the first steps right before you can go on to the next and then the next, and then the next. You're not going to get the last step putting the little man into the, to the, to the jet plane until you've done everything else. So God will reveal to us as we follow him. He will give us more information, give us more responsibility. But we've got to obedient, be obedient to what we know to do in the first place. So three points about response to calamity. Number one is hope in God. Who else is there? Who else are you going to turn to in your time of discouragement other than God? He's the only one that really cares and has given us his word. Secondly, dwell on God. Remember his past acts. Can you think back for just a moment in your mind? Can you think about some huge blessing God has answered for you, a, a prayer God has answered? We all, if we asked you, all of you could probably just start listing numerous prayers that God has marvelously answered. And third, be still and know that he is God. Cultivate a patient, quiet acceptance of his purposes. Patient, quiet acceptance of his purposes. I remember uh, just uh, uh, about two or three months ago, there was a job. I was asked to apply for a job where I worked. And so I did apply for the job, and I was, the person who was immediately in charge says, I want you to do the job. But then I got, said, no, you can't do that job. Well, now, a month or two later, our company has discontinued having that job. And so if I had taken that job and got out of the one I am now, I might not have neither job. So at the time, I was quite a, you know, kind of you know, chewing rocks about that. But, you know, God knew. If we'll just wait for him, wait for him. Now, sometimes, again, God's silence is due to our sin. We need to confess that and get right with him. And he, he answers. 
He eventually answers just as he does with Job. Whoever goes knocking to him will be opened. Whoever goes on seeking him, he will find. But doesn't that just sort of the knocking and seeking imply occasionally God's hidden a little bit? If we're to be seeking and knocking, that means we're looking for him and we're seeking what he wants from us, just might occasion just a little bit of, and then opening and finding the hiddenness of God is only temporary. To him that knocks, it shall be opened. To you who are seeking, it shall be shown to you. Pastor Phil had been praying about where he was uh, candidating at the church he was called to today for some time, praying about that. And so today, you're knocking, seeking. There was an opening, and so God provided that in his time and his will for Pastor Phil and Melissa. So silence, God's silence, secondly, is innocence, alchemy, or innocence. Now, the word alchemy, we always think of that in probably negative terms as some kind of uh, fantasy book, and they're changing something into some object into gold or something. But the Bible, Job says for us in 23.10, the best-known verse, I'm sure, in this chapter 23.10, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So we're talking about God using what we have done to turn forth into gold, if you would. So that's where the word alchemy comes. Is, he, is alchemy or innocence, if you would, now appears to embody a spiritual truth that has comforted thousands, millions, I would say likely, God knows everything we're going through. I think of the song we're going to sing at the end of the, of the service, uh, Rejoice in the Lord. God never moves without purpose and plan, etc. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And we've used that verse, I've used it many times in a positive aspect of that. For the Christian, affliction is the gold in the making, says Ron Lee Davis in the book, Gold in the Making, Where is God When Bad Things Happen to You? So he says, as proof, for the Christian, affliction is gold in the making. It will cooperate. If we will cooperate in the process, we will come forth as gold. I'm telling you, the Bible, I think, teaches rewards for service. Job 23.10 does not teach that exact thing. Now, don't, now, please don't get angry at me and turn me off, turn your hearing aid down, whatever. Job 23.10 says, Dr. Talbot has joined the ranks of verses whose familiar words have taken on a hallowed life of their own. Verses used to teach truths that are wholesome and biblical, but truths that are really foreign to the context of this verse when seen in the overall aspect of this chapter of the book. Do you remember sometime back there was the prayer of Jabez? Remember that? There, had, there were all kinds of books and, and paraphernalia and, and, and jewelry, all these things, the prayer of Jabez. And they took that one little spot verse and built a whole empire of uh, paraphernalia upon that. So once a verse's familiar language has been found in poems and hymns and sermons and devotionals, no one really bothers to go back and say, now, chapter 2310, what about chapter 2389 and chapter 2311? What about that? How does, it doesn't even have, uh, I'm, am I correct in saying this? Nine is part of the, ver, in the nine part of the same sentence, about eight. Eight, nine, and ten are all one sentence. So when you put it in context, and we slide it in context, this now I believe the Bible teaches rewards, and God will try our works and reward us exceeding abundantly for what we have done for him with the right motives. 
But that, but what about Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Pastor? This is 2,000 years before Christ was born. He doesn't have that to go back. He has nothing of the New Testament to go back. He doesn't have Romans chapter 5.10 of 2 Corinthians that we're all going to appear for the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether good or bad. He doesn't have those verses. He doesn't know. You tell me, from what, what is Job expecting to happen to him? He's expecting to die. He's not expecting for his works to be tried someday down the road at a future point in time, and he's going to be proven to be worthwhile in serving God. That's not his expectation. So every time we derive an interpretation and application from a text that is not consistent with the contextual sense of the whole Scripture, no matter how biblical the truth is, we are robbing that text of the actual meaning and application that God intended. Now again, the principle we've been using this verse for, I believe, stands true. But this verse in particular does not, it doesn't say what we think it says. I think sometimes. And so if you'll hang in there, it does say some good things, but not exactly as we have been using it for years. So we find, so some, some of, of us, they might be suspicious when he's, what's pastor saying? I'm saying we just look at the context and you'll see, I think I have six points here in just a moment. I think you'll see with me how we might better look at it. Now, a failure to insist on contextual reading of any text leaves the text, I like this, bound and gagged to our, what we're saying about it. We should let, now we complain about other people taking uh, text out of context, which is a pretext, and, and building a whole, uh, Acts 2.38, proof of baptismal regeneration. But you've taken that verse out of context, and, he, and it, the whole Bible principle of baptism and salvation, you've taken that, uh, and we, get, we say that, and sometimes maybe we have done things like this, not to the error, but we've stick, signed on, well, this verse teaches that. Well, hello, hello, duh. Well, have you really looked at exactly where it fits in with Job's words? So Job 23.10 is often seen in the mark the moment he finally rises to the assurance that God knows all he's going through and realizes that when God is done testing him, he will be refined and strengthened. But that is not really at all what Job is saying here. As we've been studying Job, a paraphrase might be, but he knows the way that is with me. He should test me, I would come forth as gold. He's certain of two things. Number one, he's innocent. Number two, God knows it. He's certain I'm innocent, and God knows that. God knows my, my way of life. What does it say in verse? But he knoweth the way that I take. God knows me. I want to stand in his court, not in front of Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far, and Elihu. Elihu. Well, I want to stand before them because they don't know. God does. I want to stand there. If he would only put Job to the test, Job would come through like gold. So six observations. If you want to jot these down, it might be worthwhile for you to ruminate on later on. Number one observation is this. Job has just declared his certainty that if only he could come before God's court and present his case, he would be vindicated. Job's certain he would be vindicated. It's one of Job's recurring themes, has it not been? You've accused me of that. I've not done that. Of robbing the poor. I've not done that. And so that's been Job's recurring theme. However, he cannot be vindicated. Why? Verse 8 9. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. 
backward, but I cannot perceive him. He cannot be vindicated because God can't be found. Job sees him in the frustrating position of having been accused, tried, found guilty, and sentenced to affliction without ever getting his day in court. It's like if, if, if my brother and I were going to my mom and dad, and my brother had done all the wrong, and he says, Tim did this, Tim this, this, and Tim this. Tim, you are grounded for a month. I don't know. I, they never, never do that. You're grounded for a month. But you have, I don't care what. Greg's right, no matter what. He says it's right. You're wrong. You're, he never did it that way. But that's what this. But my, you don't have any day in court, Tim. You are grounded. And Greg can have extra, whatever it is, extra time off. Then have to do chores for a month, and you're doing his chores for a month. But, 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 and that would be so unfair. That's a, that's a, it just makes me, even now, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, not a true thing. My mom and dad strove, as I assure you are, to be fair with their children. But Job, see, that's Job's frustration. I know I'm innocent, but all I hear is I'm guilty, but I know down inside, I just, I just want an opportunity to, to clear my name. Observation two, Job is sure that he cannot, though he cannot see God, God knows him and knows his way. But he knoweth the way that I take, verse 10, the beginning part. Job's star witness is God. That's a pretty good witness. God knows the way that I take. That, that being the case, he reiterates his confidence, reiterates that the outcome would be good for him. Convinced of his innocence, certain of his exoneration. Try me. I'm going to come forth as gold. Not sinless. He's admitted he's a sinner, but he knows that he's a righteous man, innocent of all these things that have been thrown at him. And that's the entire, one of the themes of the entire book. Third observation, he's responding to Eliphaz' allegations that he's maligned Job's ways, but Job has not. Job wants the perfect judge to know his heart. How can I wish I could find God, or how I wish I could find God and come before his seat? The first part starting at three, I, I wish I could find him. Oh, that I knew, verse 3, where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments if I could just find God. Can you imagine? Job doesn't know what we know. All he sees is the trash heap and the sores and the verbal assaults of his former three friends. Or at least I think their friendship is at least being uh, tested a lot at this point. He wants a perfect judge. Eliphaz may think Job's way has been wicked, but God knows better. He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I will come. Try me now. Try me now. Not sometime down the road when, when I've died. And, try me now. I'm gold right now. Just, just, just try me if you would. I shall come forth as gold. We, it is us. It is we who sit down and read this verse and say, but he knoweth the way that he had taken when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I'm not gold now. I can tell you right now. If you stood before God right now, would you be happy with the things God gives you? Would you be happy to report to God how you've lived your life? I want to get some things straight. I want to do, I want to do aren't there some things you want to do better at? Yes, there are for me. Perhaps... Most people, I don't think, are ready right now to stand before God. I, I think a lot of people probably go out into eternity aren't ready right then. Because I want to get some, and I know the unsaved aren't. There's some things i got to get straight before I go. 
Job's saying, no, do it now, and I will be, you'll prove my innocence. Fourth observation, Job's words in 23.10 explain what he expects to be found innocent. Whenever his cause does come before God, he closely follows God's steps. Verse 11, my foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Eliphaz says, oh no, Job's gone the wrong way. No, says, I protest against that, Eliphaz. I have not. I followed God's way. Job is resigned to the fact that God is inscrutable, not understandable, and sovereign. He does what he wants, but Job just does not understand why He's allowed this to happen to him. Can I just say for a moment, we, if we had been in the same shoes, sandals, probably not wearing any shoes now, we would be saying the same thing. If we were, and we not even lived as righteous as Job. Like, Lord, why? I, I don't understand. Where are you? I pray it. It seems like I'm just bouncing back off the ceiling. Why are you hiding yourself? Observation five, Job never expresses any expectation of surviving his affliction. Far from seeing his suffering as temporary, test designed to make him better, he's consistently anticipated only one outcome. Look back at chapter 3, verse 20. 3, verse 20. He is not anticipating standing before God and hearing the trumpet sound and say, Job of us, you have been outstanding and you served the Lord and here is your reward. That's not what he's looking for, the Bible says for us here in 320. And Job, they, wherefore is light given? They say, wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. That's what Job is looking for. He's not looking for the 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 bema seat of Christ where he's going to be judged. He's saying right now, judge me now and find me innocent, and I will come forth as gold. And it's not an arrogant way. He's just trying to get his day in court. And finally, observation six, a parallel passage. How about 31 verse 4, please? It settles it really, what Job means. 31 verse 4 of our text in Job 4, 5, and 6. Doth not he see my ways and count my steps? If I have walked with vanity, or if I, my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. He's not ambiguous. He draws the same length between God's knowledge of him and vindication of his integrity. Job is not saying, God knows what I'm going through, and when he is done testing me, I will be the better for it, purified to the state of gold. He is saying, God sees me and knows me now. He knows I am innocent when he tests me, for Job is confident that day is coming. I will come through like gold. It is not when God tries me in eternity future and, I, and I'm standing before God. It's not. I imagine he's going to get rewards, obviously. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about right now. Please come test me now and prove these three yahoos wrong. My brother did it just as much as me, if not more, and he deserves to be grounded for five months. Just listen to me. I, I can prove it. And so he, that's, what, that's what he's talking about. But what about all the devotionals and, and, and messages and Sunday school classes and sermons and songs about that? That's wonderful. Go for it. 
as long as you know that's not exactly what Job's talking about right here. The principle carries through. God will reward those who serve him exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is it the disciples you'll be a hundredfold? I think it's something like that. One of those disciples, I can't say exactly. What about that? You'll receive a hundredfold in the life to come. And, and, and in the life here, we're, we're rewarded. But in the life to come, he's going to reward those who faithfully serve. Job will be rewarded, but that is not what Job specifically is talking about right here. He's saying, come now, judge me now. It's not, I do things in the future that deserve reward. I have lived a righteous life in the past. Just come and please just let the truth come forth. Just sometimes in our own country, let the truth reign. Let the truth reign. Then they'll let the chips, let the truth reign, and then things will start lining back up. But as long as lies and falsehood reign, there's no hope of getting back on track. The truth comes, there's two, there's two rails. We've got to stick on these rails, and we can make progress then. But if we have 10,000 different rails, there's not going to be any progress. Job's waiting for God to finish him off, not waiting to stand before him for rewards at some future time. We find then that what Job thought was the desertion of God was in fact a temporary test through which he was humbled and his view of God was refined that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. But wait, he didn't have that verse. You see, we, 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 we have guilty elect. We, we put our verses and what we know way back over here 2,000 years before Christ was born. Why doesn't Job see all those things? My goodness gracious, he's, not, he's out of step. And yet he's more in step with God than probably any of us will ever be thinking about doing. But we have this mindset that what well, I think now, we have arrived. I tell you, we have degenerated, not arrived. Our culture has degenerated, as you well know not arrived at some kind of intellectual greatness until the fear of the Lord isn't is the beginning. Isn't there a big difference between knowledge and wisdom? A lot of people have a lot of book learning, we'd call it that, and no wisdom. We may not have a lot of book learning, but there's a lot of people have wisdom because it's right here. This is wisdom. We find then that Job continues on. We, now, the principle of God rewarding those who serve, we might see that in Job 66, or Psalm 66, please. Psalm 66, I know what time it is. And I did fix the, the battery in the clock yesterday. Someone reminded about that. So, and it might, I'm not sure it thinks about, about right on spot on time. Might be a little bit fast. Uh, we'll get you out by 7 for sure. Uh, it says in 66, verse 8. Psalm 66, verse 8 says for us, O bless our God, you people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. We've done all these things. 
We've served the Lord. He will bring us out. Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. 119.71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Wow, you serve him, he's going to reward you. That's a principle from the Bible, but that is not the exact principle taught by Job 23.10. The rest of the chapter is conscience, Job's priorities of conscience. Verse 11, back over in Job 23, verse 11, My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The idea is more God-given allotment. That's what Job, he esteemed the words of God so important. The last chapter 24 is negligence. I don't know if you want to read it next couple of weeks. If you could, Job 24, I'm not sure we're going to cover it, but Job lets loose his frustrations after this. But I want to home back, come back home to this idea that God is in control. It's just a topic we sometimes struggle with, but he is. I read this past week about uh, a true story from David Roper in the book called Elijah, A Man Like Us. He said, recently, Carolyn and I were on the first leg of a flight from Frankfurt, Germany, to our home in Boise, Idaho. Our first stop was Boston. It had been an exhausting week, and I dropped off to sleep as soon as I found my seat on the airplane, but as soon as I, but soon was awakened by a disturbance in the aisle. The steward and the passenger who had been seated on Carolyn's left, his wife, were arguing about the man's seat assignment. Somehow, he had been separated from his fiancée, who was seated several rows behind us. The man grew increasingly angry and argumentative until another passenger, seated by the man's fiancée, offered to trade places. The swap was made, and Carolyn's new seatmate settled into his place, drew out a legal pad, and began to work out some things for his job. Unfortunately, there's a very social little French boy who sat on the left of the man and started to talk. The man, seeming, he said, to be a soul of patience, gave up his project after a few minutes and began to chat amiably with the boy. Carol and his wife soon was drawn into the conversation. I heard the man say he was from Los Gatos, California, a town close to Los Altos, California, where Carolyn and I had lived for 18 years. He was in the Frankfurt to Boston leg of a flight on the San Francisco. I heard Carolyn remark on the fact that we have many friends in the Bay Area. And then I went back to sleep. I awakened an hour or so later to find Carolyn sharing her faith with this newfound friend who was scribbling on his notepad and drawing diagrams and listening. He's listening intently and asked some questions. I sat there quietly and prayed for her and the man. At one point, he said, you believe as my wife believes. Oh, said Carolyn, and how does she become a follower of Christ? Through Bible study fellowship, he said. Oh, how did he find out about Bible? She, you, she find out about Bible study fellowship. He said a friend of hers named Nell King invited her to attend. That's remarkable, said Carolyn. Nell King is one of my very best friends. And then the coin dropped. A few moments before we moved to Boise from California, Nell King had asked Carolyn to pray for a friend who had just come become a Christian through the Bible Study Fellowship and for her husband, who was not yet a believer, the very man seated beside his wife because a man got so irate he was departed from, separated from his fiancée. God moved that man to sit behind her so that he could hear the gospel. And by the power which the erring man calls chance, 
I say by the power of a God who's in control can even change a C assignment to where someone who's being prayed for hears the gospel. It is absolutely amazing. Amazing how God provides. He is in control. Amy for Africa posted just recently how she was looking for $21,000 to pay for the Christmas coverage uh, for all the gifts she wants to give the kids over in Africa. The pastor of the church said it's already all been given. Already all been given. And so the kids in Africa are going to have this Christmas presents because of people giving. God is good. His plan is sure. Why did Ron Hamilton have cancer? Possibly because he had a ministry greater than ever without it. Why did Adoniram Judson go through so much? That the people of Burma might hear the gospel. The first person to ever translate the entire Bible into the Burmese language. The people of Myanmar should uphold and, and rejoice. They should have his birthday on their calendar. Life changed because of him. He's in control. He's in control of our lives. Let us let him be in control and not us. And in closing, just, 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 just today, the God that created and named each one of the stars and calls them by name is in no danger of forgetting his own people. He knows each of our cases thoroughly as if we were the only creatures He ever made or the only saint He ever loved. Hear well, discouraged Christian, that there is no inconsequential or unimportant children in God's world. It is the most important for God's people to learn that the smallest and often overlooked details are as much arranged by our God as the most startling events in all history. It is he that is our wise manager controlling our sitting down and rising up. Oh, Christian, know well that our deepest problem begins when we fail to trust him in every detail of life and making it worse when we take matters into our own hands. Be encouraged. Our God is in control. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of your word. Lord, as we look at the book of Job, that verse does not ex- exactly mean in that context what we have said. But Lord, the principle is true. If we will follow you, you will, re- you will refine us and will come forth as gold. If we have obeyed and listened to your voice, may we do that this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.